Hi, Dave here. A couple of notes before we start. Uh, Katie's Skype was sort of acting up, so uh, her audio isn't great this week. I tried to fix it where I could, but you might hear some echoes and stuff. That is just a technical error. And note number two, I say that uh, Batman v Superman beat Harry Potter to become uh, Warner Brothers' highest grossing opening ever, uh, which was the estimate when we recorded this podcast and ended up not being true. Otherwise, let's get on with the show. Man of Steel, am I right? In honor of Everybody Wants Some, which is a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, what other movie deserves a spiritual sequel? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Shakespeare in Love. It'd be a light and witty romantic comedy set in another world that you write about in English class. Hey, it's me, Dave, with the Seven, North, the Elijah Wood, Rob Reiner movie. I feel like I get it this time. <laughs> you just want an actual I'm sequel. Pat- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was about to say, what's the spiritual part of that? Is that uh, just another kid goes on a journey, or yeah, I think if like the kid goes on a journey thing was presented to me as an adult instead of as a kid, I would I would get I would get what the the movie meant some more. Maybe you just need to rewatch North. Maybe you just need to go on a journey. Maybe both those things. All right. Wait, I forgot. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with the Fifth Element, partially because I keep seeing Luke Besson tweet pictures from his insane-looking sci-fi movie, Valerian. Yeah. But also because I want to know, what else are those, like, blue aliens with tentacles on their heads doing in the world? Maybe they have a life. Maybe they have a story. I think, like, a that's just a element. spinoff. Okay, there's another element. They found, or, no, there's another <laughs> fifth element? I don't know. What is spiritual? You gotta ask Richard Linklater. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 112 for Tuesday, March 29th, 2016. Guess what? On this day in 1987, Hulk Hogan pinned Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. And that was the last notable thing Hulk Hogan ever did. No I one, know. No I one wish has he would crop back up. I know. Headlines <laughs> do something. Don't you wonder what he's up to? Uh, we're down, David, this week. He is on vacation. I feel like that's maybe the first time that's ever happened. I don't know. He's in transition. Yeah, he's right uh, yeah, he's in a transition. He's in a cocoon. He's a, he's going to emerge as a butterfly and will hardening his shell. His <laughs> already hardened shell is getting even yeah. harder. Uh, so anyway, we're all here, but we're, we have reviews anyway. We don't need David to read reviews. Uh, Patrick, no. would you like to do the honors? Sure. Uh, we have a new review from a one Madison Cascade who says, fair and balanced. But Ooh, then like starts the review <laughs> Then starts the review by saying, keep your politics out of the review section. Oh, harsh, is that a harsh. sarcastic fair and balanced, I, I sense? I, I don't know, but it's a five-star review, so thank you to that person. Uh, so they go on to say, if I wanted to read a political review, I'd go to a political podcast review site. Is that a thing? Sure. Tell us if it is. Um, but seriously, Fighting in the War Room and its associated shows have quickly become my favorite shows about contemporary media. I wish they'd add even more shows with various versions of the lineup to cover things like TV, pop gossip, kettle corn, and dog names. An entire podcast dedicated to dog names. I've got great dog name ideas. <laughs> I could see it. It would probably be more successful than the current podcast against the Billions podcast, but <laughs> it might not fa- fit into the TV and film podcasting realm. That's probably true. Um, but yes, thank you very much for that review. That was perfect. And uh, Short, succinct, kettle corn references. Also, we're trying to keep track and make sure that we uh, have read all of the reviews, but if we missed yours and you left it a while ago, we seem to have skipped it, you let us know. Yeah, you can actually edit iTunes reviews, I believe, because some people from the way, way back, like people who left reviews in 2011 have gone back to the reviews to be uh to say that they've either enjoyed it more or maybe decrease some stars i'm not sure you can edit reviews and they come back up to the top so feel free to do that or yell or tweet at us and yell at us one way or another we'll find out yes we want to read your words just give us holler Rebound all over me 
So last Monday, the Tribeca Film Festival, which is an annual film festival, happens here in New York. It is a relatively low-key event in terms of news, usually. Uh, added a film to its special screening selection. It wasn't in competition. It wasn't like a... It's not going to screen five times at the festival like most of them, but it was going to be a single event screening of the film Vax from Cover Up to Catastrophe, which is directed and co-written by Andrew Wakefield, a.k.a. the guy who started the idea that vaccines cause autism with a paper that he published in 1998 that since has been widely discredited. Yeah, his, his Wikipedia page opens with he's a British, a former gastroenterologist and known for his fraudulent 1998 research. Yeah, paper his Wikipedia page is real mad claim. at him. Um, so this film gets added to the Tribeca lineup and you know there have been political films at various film festivals about all kinds of ideas that you may or may not agree with I remember seeing one at Toronto that was all about how wind power was horrible because it like gave people headaches when the wind turbines blocked the sun it was very strange that is not an insane concept, but this is not the forum to discuss. Well, yes. Yeah. So, so political documentaries. The New York Magazine film... wrote a very interesting story about that topic. But anyway, well, political documentaries at film festivals are nothing new. But this is kind of beyond political. Like the the debate over vaccines causing autism is kind of over for most sane people. Like it's been fairly well proven that they do not. And so the uproar kind of started around this film. About two days later, I think. Um, I mean, Patches, you might want to take it from here since you were following the controversy over this film selection. More and being very loud and, about yeah, it. Yeah, you I were very know, angry about skin. it. Um, filmmaker Penny Lane, who directed a, a wonderful documentary that will soon be seen by many called Nuts, uh, that played Sundance this year, started going off about this because Nuts is about a kooky doctor from the Midwest who kind of at the turn of the 20th century claimed that... Uh, if you sliced off goat genitalia, you could insert it into a man's nutsack, and that man could then uh, have, you know, if his man parts weren't working, the goat testicle would enhance him wow. and make him functional again. That was not true, and he uh, scammed a lot of people into giving him money. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. I'll let the documentary do the rest. Nuts. See it. Um, but Penny Lane took to Facebook to kind of basically just tear the Tribeca Film Festival a new one. She was really aghast that they would program Andrew Wakefield's documentary. I say this in quotes. You uh, haven't seen because, it. Because, no, I haven't seen I mean, it's definitely a documentary of sorts. Um, but she, she was taken aback that they would program something that has been so widely discredited and that she took very personally being, um, you know, alongside what she claimed to be real documentaries about real topics and things that weren't discredited by science. <laughs> um, and this kind of lit a lot of documentarians under their asses. And they, they got up and started protesting. And then people like me, I'm just like, I was also furious because this is a topic, you know, our review complained that we should leave politics out of it. But I don't see this as a very political topic it's whatsoever. About as, well, to me, it's about as political as saying that humans have caused climate change. But I think that that is actually a more political topic. But it well, is a, yeah, it that's is, currently being discussed in the political realm the yeah vaccine. it's true it's not a partisan topic that's like it's not a republican or democrat thing to talk about vaccines right. and autism and so tribeca after a lot of people were kind of raising a ruckus well the tribeca twitter account would be tweeting at people and saying uh I, i'm kind of uh buddy buddy with this filmmaker named brian l fry who penny lane actually made a documentary about uh our nixon our nixon with and brian was going off about this too and the tribeca twitter account uh, messaged him and said, like most film fests, Tribeca is about dialogue and conversation. We present opposing viewpoints without judgment or endorsement. Okay. That that's basically totally... what, that's also like basically the official statement that they would give to anyone who asked as well. Sure. Yeah. So this is, that's a reasonable claim. You know, a lot of people were angry at me for making, kind of pushing back against it and throwing in with Penny and saying, yeah, we should take this off the lineup because it is just not true it has no place in documentary film because it's about it's uh, propagating an agenda that has is patently false and the uh the description for the film is also kind of insane it's um i'm trying to find it here that uh yeah dr william thompson of the centers for disease control turns over secret documents data and internal emails confirming what millions of devastated parents and discredited quote-unquote doctors have long suspected vaccines do cause autism okay Whoa. This, this is where it's like, this is not about conversation. This is not like, this is not a film about why people would think this in the first place. Why is there an anti-vaccine movement? No, this is going to be an agenda-driven movie 
about people being incorrect about vaccines. So this is highly political, uh, or at least volatile. Highly opinionated. uh, Has an agenda. Yeah. And so, like, the question that comes up, and this is a totally fair one, and many people were tweeting this at me, was, you know, is this censorship to say that it should not be part of the Tribeca Film Festival? Well, and we and should. Now, we, yeah. OK. Yeah. Update on the current status. Well, yeah, exactly. So we it, the film has been removed from the lineup. Um, now, De Niro made a statement as well. And I thought it was <laughs> a really, really just embarrassing statement um or a shocking one i should say because he said that he you know he has a child with autism and we believe and this is his words it is critical that all the issues surrounding the causes of autism be openly discussed and examined um and however this is a very personal to me and my family and i want there to be the, a discussion which is why we'll be screening vaxxed he didn't he says he doesn't personally endorse the film and he swears he's not anti-vaccination which i raise an eyebrow at that because how did this film get programmed we may never know but like so, yeah. The whole thing, he stumbled, and now he's retracted that, and they have pulled the film. So it comes yeah, down. So, what, so what do you guys think? Is this came out on Friday? On Saturday, they announced that uh, they had pulled the film. I guess basically because De Niro's statement did not calm anybody down. Yeah, and so this is challenging, right? We don't want to censor films. We want to. We do want to have that conversation at film festivals, and that's what film festivals do. We see some really edgy material there. We see people go across the line in an effort to provoke. Um, what's the difference here? Is there a difference here? Do you guys see one? Because I obviously do, but I've been talking too much. Is this censorship on some level? What do you think, Dave? Uh, I mean, it's... Yes, but I don't think it's necessarily like a a bad type of censorship because it's not a complete censorship. It's a censorship by exclusion. So putting like opinions that can be proven wrong by the majority of the public should have a place to be aired, but that doesn't necessarily need to be on the same stage as uh, people that consider themselves serious documentarians. So I, I understand why they'd pull it but i also you know i'm trying to think about that review and keep politics out of it but it's like a really dangerous (laughs) opinion that the media already sort of helped like propagate and so at this point if we're going to like pull back on it i totally understand where all those impulses come from is it something that i'm gonna feel weird about later on maybe i don't know it's kind of censorshipy I mean, I, the, I mean, it's censorship to the extent that like every film festival can program whatever they want to. Like, right, the, it's a private event. They don't have to give the the freedom of speech to everyone. They select what films are going there, so they're giving a stamp of approval and endorsement. Well, the censorship uh, part is having a whole bunch of people yell at you, and you be like, "Oh yeah, never mind," and like pull it out. Right, like, but they're, like but they're not the saying place, that that fine. filmmaker doesn't have the right to make his film. They just have they don't want this particular platform to support it. It's like it's like the same as like when Donald Trump is like, oh, there's you know, no one believes in free speech anymore because people are protesting at my rallies. It's like, no, you still have the right to speak and they have the right to protest you. Right. right, exactly. Which is why I didn't feel guilty speaking out against this. Even if there are people who follow me on Twitter or my friends who are anti-vaxxers, I wouldn't care. Like, I'm not telling you to stop advocating for whatever. I'm just saying I'm angry at Tribeca. And I think they should pull it. So pull it, Tribeca. Like, I don't care what they, I guess I don't care what they do, and I will take action respectively. But they are an institution of the film landscape. They're my hometown festival in some ways. I want them to pull this because it is patently incorrect. And I was I was trying to weigh this with uh, Michelle, my fiance, who was on the show last week. And I was like, why is this not censorship? I just want to feel, I want a clear conscience here. And she's she was very smart. She said, um, you know, it's like going, why can't you run into a movie theater and scream fire? That's what I was just about to say. Right. So it's like you're harming the public by screening this film. The Tribeca stamp of approval, the laurels, they will wear, this film will wear the Tribeca laurels to other film festivals as it tries to get distributed by people. You know, this film will look more appetizing. It's a re- it's a real movie and it has something real to say when it has tr- it can lean on Tribeca. And that's dangerous if there's something so widely considered incorrect. Uh, you can't give it the platform. Well, well are we like, also we just talking about uh, like a couple line summary and the guy's general background? Well, it's about the, I mean, the guy is at the forefront of this particular movement. And like he is, he like makes speeches and appearances speaking from this point of view. Like it, it's clear enough 
from the title and the description that that the documentary does have a point of view. Sure. I mean, it's the weird thing that got programmed in the first place. And everything that happened subsequently seems to be like the right way to go. It's just, it's really weird and gives me like a weird feeling because like, I don't know, on one hand, uh, Patches is right, or Michelle through Patches is right about screaming fire in a theater. But on the other hand, if it's this wrong, we should be able to quash it fairly easily. Well, we kind of did, right? Like that, the, it got, the film got removed from the schedule. I know. I guess I just feel guilty about it now. Like I got, I got what I wanted, and I feel a little guilty about it. And but I don't because then people were coming after me on Twitter and saying, "Well, like just because Michael, what if Michael Moore made a documentary that you don't agree with?" Or like, "What if this actually feels really similar to Dinesh D'Souza's films, uh, Obama? What was it? Twenty sixteen. We're in it. We're 20, living. Two thousand eight. We're, li- we're living in Obama's America. Hillary. Yeah, exactly. Obama's America, and um. Even that seems more acceptable to me. I would never protest that film be removed from, uh, like, if Tribeca had programmed that. I would not protest that. I would raise an eyebrow and wonder, what what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is not up to the standards of your other films, which is, I think, what really angered Penny. Um, But even that, politics is not science. It can be debated endlessly. And if someone wants to, now they can run facts, you know, fudge the truth. And a lot, all documentaries on some level do this, right, uh, are, are playing into an agenda or are editing to convey something and will never 100% know the unfiltered truth. But even Dinesh D'Souza's films, you can either see through them or you can debate them. It's politics well, is not a fact. I think driven. this is getting to Michelle's point. Statistics there's driven, not yes. a public health element to, to saying that Obama was born in Kenya. That's not affecting the behavior of people that will then affect the health of children and is not causing infants to get mumps for the first time in a century. Like there's yeah. a definite, like that's the problem with the whole uh, vaccine thing is that it's not just that it's bad science. It's that it's been, it's had measurable effects on individual behavior that then harms others. And that's right. the, that's, and a, like, that's, who I would think, go to this film. Like that's a question. You do you do does raising a stink, does protesting actually raise awareness and get people interested in it? Oh, it did. People were yelling at me if, about that. If it had stayed on the schedule, definitely. But now it's I mean, not. people would have seen it, and someone would have given it the time of day. And if one person sees the movie, it is a problem. We wouldn't. We would not. Well, no. If one person sees the movie f- and is convinced not to vaccinate their children, that's a problem. Right. Tribeca would not promote a film about racist racism. You know, like a white. The Ku Klux Klan will not be premiering their new film at Tribeca for obvious reasons. It's driving hate and it's driving incorrect information. So a, a film about anti-vaccination is doing the same thing. It's a it's a misleading campaign, and it has to be cut. I, I don't think it's censorship, and I'm feeling good about myself right well, now. Well, I look forward to your reaction next year when they program <laughs> a retrospective of Birth of a Nation. Now, I also haven't been vaccinated, so is that a problem for me? Or? <laughs> That's why we only talk to you over Skype. Oh, God. Did you just cough? So real quick, uh, you guys waited on Batman vs Superman already at length, uh, but hey, it made a lot of money. It's kind of bummed out by that. <laughs> You're I, bummed out by. I mean, part of me, I was honestly kind of like maybe it'll make less than Deadpool. Like it just didn't seem like it had. Still could. I mean, it still could in the long run, but it, it opened very big and kind of did just fine for itself. Uh, I mean, are you guys bummed out by this? I'm not. I'm not bummed out. Like I have no stakes in it. I mean, it's a disappointing movie but i'm I'm not bummed out do you feel like it Uh, bodes poorly for franchises and spectacles in the future maybe this is a dave question uh i don't know about that it proves that you could throw something in march and have it open really big this is warner brothers biggest opening movie of all time uh right summer no longer matters right so that's deadpool also helped prove 
But True. Did, yeah, Deadpool was like, I mean, but so did like a lot of movies, like the Lego movie, like hit back in February. Yeah. A couple of years back. So, but this in terms of like big franchise films, like this is essentially their Avengers and they plopped it in March uh, after a brief period of time of staring down Captain America in May. So I'm uh, interested more to see what it does next weekend. It, if mm-hmm. it like if it manages to like it could drop up to sixty percent probably and still be fine in terms of its one point you know six billion overall or what it has to like ultimately make to be super profitable. But uh, if it does like a gigantic drop because March is incapable of holding this sort of movie. Uh, or because the quality of the film itself, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, like a B, it's getting like a B minus cinema score with nails and like a B, uh, like overall. So it's, it, it's, I don't Wait, know. So it's women like it better than men? Is that the, what I'm supposed to draw from that? Well, it's like its target demographic is like young, younger males and it's getting a, a B, a B minus with them. And then I think with like kids, under 18 um it's getting like an a minus so uh, 10 year olds love it yeah i'm not sure if it's like a gender balance but it's just everyone like take the... your 10 year olds to see uh batman versus superman there's nothing like that scene where bruce wayne wakes up from hate fucking a woman is grimacing and having nightmares of his parents being murdered by like fetishized bat gunmen and you don't know oh, that he's so beautiful her He's kind of really angry and doesn't even... We don't even get to see her face. She's just fucking women and, like, being angry. What am I supposed to take yeah, away from that? Yeah, but you don't see the sex scene. I guess what I'm saying is 10-year-olds love it. You had me from wondering <laughs> if I had missed a sex scene in Batman vs. Superman. Hey, wait till the R-rated version. We'll oh, get to see Jesus. the hate fucking. Is that, is that the, promises, promises. Is that the three-hour version, too? Oh, exactly, exactly. I will oh, not God, watch I can't that even movie. imagine. can't imagine. But maybe I'll have to do it just for, like, the trial of, of watching the whole thing. I, I guess I'm, I'm, you mentioned being bummed out about it. I'm not. I, I keep getting in arguments with people. I'm not the biggest, like, oh, film criticism and, you know, film Twitter defender here. But I, I, I'm really just taken aback by how many people seem to use this movie to draw a line in the sand between, you know, Variety's box office report for this movie is, do critics matter? Oh. And you know, colleagues of ours, I was arguing with, uh, no, I'm not arguing, have a very interesting conversation with Dave Chen of the Slash Filmcast about, you know, he got emails from people being like, why do critics hate this movie? Why are they out to get Batman Superman? And I really don't think anyone's out to get this movie, which is why I want to distance myself from being bummed out uh, about <laughs> its success. Um, we're not out to get this movie. This movie's just so big, right? Like, I remember being at Comic-Con watching Zack Snyder announce this movie three years ago. Yeah. Uh, the, the logo and the announcement. It's just, it was such... Too big uh, to fail. Uh, it's an event film. And it's not an event film in marketing alone. It's an event film just by Batman v Superman. It's insane. I can't believe we're going to get to see it. It's exciting. I want it to be good. And it's just colossal failure on every level every beat i mean see our review episode i guess but uh well, why, every why does it make 170 million dollars yeah, what? It's a, yeah every beat from a critical standpoint it's a colossal failure box office wise it seems to be doing just fine for itself well i'll have some interesting questions about that because i mean everyone was gonna go see this movie anyway that's part of the event film you you spend 300 million dollars in you know the budget of this movie is insane the marketing budget is insane lots of people are going to see this movie it's not the critics do matter for some things but this was never in question and critics are not out to derail batman v superman's success um but i do like dave said will it keep going well it's not going to be as big as star wars or something like that it's it might not even be as big as the avengers uh or either of those movies yeah who knows but i wonder i think the big question is if Zack Snyder continues on with this franchise, is it is that what made it work, and is that why people are going to see it, and is are people in love with his vision, and will he's about to make a Justice League movie? I guess um, where does it go from here, and is is that is this success going to kind of crystallize every, all these plans? That's what I'm interested in, and if I'm bummed out about anything with the success, it's that they don't have a reason to course correct necessarily. That's, I think, the reason that I would be bummed out. It's just like that we're in for an entire universe of these very dark, grim 
uh, overly serious movies that I don't really want to see these characters in. <laughs> but I, maybe we're, we're not, not Dave, are we? I mean, they start shooting in two weeks if they stay on schedule, so now is the time to yell about stuff you don't like because it's about to get solidified really fast. Did anyone defend Ezra Miller as the Flash in the review episode? How could you? Def- he's, he's barely in it. I, he's I, in a he's I, in a YouTube video. I think his YouTube video. So I, I don't know. I'm intrigued by his casting. I'm interested. Uh, the part where he shows up and yells from a void is ridiculous. But uh, the part that's about him, I don't know. I feel like he could add the actual the levity that Jesse Eisenberg was trying to bring. It's my one ray of hope. I mean, they hired comedy voices to bring him to the screen. So in theory, maybe that that movie will have a joke earlier than two hours in and someone other than Diane Lane delivering it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Such an odd oh, franchise we're in the middle of. Oh, man, it really But yeah, is. They've, they've kind of exhausted so much in this movie. That's the other thing. I just left feeling really exhausted and kind of upset by the whole tone. And I don't really know. I mean, you kind of know where they're going. I think we mentioned this in the review episode. You know, Superman, he's probably going to be the bad guy in the next movie again maybe there's more fighting superman and maybe dark side who looks just like thanos from the marvel universe will show up and it will all really just start you'll feel cross-eyed as the justice league movies start rolling out you know what that's know. uh the one thing batman vs superman accomplished for me is it made me want to reread the amazing adventures of cavalier and clay which is one of my favorite books and it's all about people who make superheroes and is a belief in something bigger than themselves and it's all set in world war ii and they're creating a you know superman-esque character and maybe want to go to like the old school optimistic version of superman and that book is great and mm. i'm glad i'm reading it so that version of superman is dead cinematically but he lives on in hearts and minds and that book Maybe that's how we should wrap. Dave, is there anything? Is there any takeaway from Batman v Superman? Are you seeking anything out as a an, as, either as an antidote or to make this vision work for you? Um, anything to help? Nope. Uh, <laughs> these characters, <laughs> these characters are not for me. And so, if anything, I'm just acknowledging that to a lot of people, they, this is their, you know, Spider-Man or whatever, and I don't want to take that away from them, but. You know, I lived through Amazing Spider-Man 2, and people are going to say shit about stuff that you see the good stuff in, so that's... Although people people may have missed this, over the weekend, DC Comics actually announced a huge, like, reboot of their whole world. You know, our listeners might not be in that, but you you were following that, You you seemed even excited. Oh, yeah, I mean, the comic book realm is, like, making some good choices with creators and uh, where they're going to take the world overall with the rebirth angle so uh, it's not like i'm and and scott snyder's batman just ended after 50 issues and was like an amazing run so i'm not hurting for batman but in terms of like on-screen superheroes these are creations of Zack snyder that don't exist anywhere that i see as recognizable batman or superman and i don't like them very much but i'm gonna you know see all their movies because that's what i do I'm also considering I'm read all my positive Superman comics. I'm considering looking at Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman. <laughs> oh uh, that that was my first Superman. I saw that show well before I saw the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, and uh, I love. Maybe that you show. would like. Maybe you would like Supergirl. Yeah, I, I thought about that too. I, there was a uh, there was a billboard for Supergirl after we got out of. Uh, or maybe like a mobile ad for it or something in Times Square after we got out of the screening. And someone oh, was right. like, look how fun that looks. She loves that was being me. Supergirl. I was like, it was so, she's smiling <laughs> while flying? Who would have thunk? I know. And she's, she's racing the Flash in an episode I keep seeing ads for. And it looks so fun. I The next morning after Batman v Superman, I went on and I looked up these old Superman Returns making of videos that Brian Singer did. He, he and P- Peter Jackson were doing video diaries and they were having a kind of back and forth was peter jackson um, involved i guess in peter superman jackson was making king he was making king kong oh they were just like talking while, to each other yeah brian singer was making superman return so they would release video diaries back and forth and like crossover with each other once in a while that's cute and superman, superman returns just looked so fun to make like everyone is happy it's bright and blue and there's a scene where, where they're shooting brandon ralph flying against a green screen and these guys in green screen suits completely green screen are like pulling strings to make his cape wave and it looks so goofy but it made me really happy i'm just like this is movie magic you know the the little things maybe and i'll Superman uh, returns soft spot in my heart maybe Definitely. i'll watch that again after i finish the lois and clark do it do it anyway batman v superman it's here to stay here to stay wow.
humping, at bumping, at thumping, at bumping, at 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 at. All right, we're actually going to talk one more kind of Batman v Superman related thing since it's the biggest movie, and there's not too much coming out in the next week or two. I guess everyone was leaving room for Batman v Superman yeah. to dominate. How how kind of them. Um, I walked out of Batman v Superman not feeling good, but feeling very good about Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Yeah. I think earlier the, in the day before seeing the movie, I guess they had put out some pictures of her in, you know, with all these ladies that are going to be in this movie. Don't know what it's about. It takes place in World War One. The Wonder Woman movie, Chris that Pine is. is the love interest. She's going to kick ass. Who knows? Um, but I want to turn it immediately to you guys. I... I was caught up in Gal Gadot. I thought she had a lot of chemistry with Ben Affleck uh, in scenes where she didn't have to be fighting a giant poop monster named Doomsday. But even in those scenes, I thought she looked, you know, she can hold a lasso, she can wield a sword. She looks like she's having fun in battle. She likes her job. Loves her job. Loves her job. Strong, independent lady. Kicks butt. She was great. But is she, was that like enough? I I kind of made that the focus of my written review on Thrillist and I had a few people say, well, she's barely in the movie. So, one, is Wonder Woman great in Batman v Superman to both of you? And then two, how long do you need to be in a movie for it to be to register as like this is a great performance or she is really good in this movie? I mean, so, Wonder Woman. When you what say you the word great performance, I feel like that has people being like, would you give it an Oscar like over other people, which is really hard to judge. Um, but I think you can tell if someone's good in exactly that amount of time, especially because in the context of that movie, like by then you're so beaten down. By the time it gets to the doomsday fight, you really are ready not to like anything. And then if someone can turn your head in that way and make you say, oh, I thought this one thing about this movie and now I'm feeling something totally different. And it's all because of that one performance. Like that's a really easy thing to identify, I think. And she definitely brings that. But is she just bringing relief or is she bringing, is she good in the movie? I think she's good in the movie. I think that's what it is. And I mean, and I tend to think that like there can be a lot of different kinds of great performances. Like you can be a great actor with like, and still be able to basically do only one thing. Like, like movie star charisma counts for a lot. I think like, I think the rock is great in a lot of movies that are really dumb and his acting is nothing compared to like what, you know, other you know we'll talk about other people who have done scene stealing performances in really good movies um but like if you're elevating what's around you i think that makes it a good performance dave what do you think um i like wonder woman uh a lot in the movie i'm not sure if it's like necessarily a good performance but i think that gal gadot does execute it to the maximum of what she's given which is sort of like a times to show up and be awesome but they're ultimately inconsequential but i think what she does uh, just with like being able to smile and look like she's having fun in the middle of a fight and the fact that it's the first time wonder woman's been portrayed on screen so for it coming right out of the gate really strong is like you know something that like electra and catwoman don't have like the the luxury of doing so it was nice it was nice seeing that happen yeah, it's Wait, cool. So that's interesting. It's cool to see oh, the, the female superhero emerge fully formed, being like, I am a superhero now. Like, I don't have to, like, get my powers or develop or go through insecurity. I just am, which is uh, rare and really nice. Dave, you mentioned that maybe she's not good in it, but she made the most of the part. Like, where do you see the difference in that? And do you see it in a lot of movies? I mean, that, that's That's what's most fascinating about this topic for me, that you could be good enough to, I guess, steal scenes. But maybe there's a way that she could have been better or not. Who knows? Um, I mean, I don't think that there's a way that she could have been better without giving her substantially more to do, which isn't, like, always within an actor's power. I mean, sometimes it's like, um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and What's Eating Gilbert Grape, that gets added to the movie as they see sort of, like, what the performance is doing. But with like something like Wonder Woman, it's like uh, you only have so many lines, and you know that all of these lines are leading up to your like actual big debut. So your only thing is to just like generate interest and like sell the character, which is different from something like other good small parts that can you know like pop up in like comedies 
or like shows that are or movies that like have some sort of uh, more mythological structure, so they end up being like episodic. You could get like great performances that are built around communicating one thing. It just isn't always like stay tuned for my franchise. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think yeah. there's a there's a really interesting comparison for this, which is Leslie Jones in Top Five. You remember her being in this movie, and it was uh, it came out like right before she joined SNL. I think maybe like it, hmm. it was at Toronto when she was on SNL, and then by the time it came out, she was or something like that. And she's in this one scene that's really just improv. Like it's not a performance in any traditional sense of the word, but it's such a hello, look at me, like I'm going to be around flag that she puts out for herself, that it really kind of feels like the same way. It's like the building the Leslie Jones franchise that comes in that one scene in that movie. And it's a total scene-stealing thing that she's, I think it's a, I mean, I would call it a great performance, even though it's not really her acting. It's her kind of probably doing her own comedy bit, but it works. It works in the context of the movie, and it works for what she wants to do. I, I was just thinking of a similar role the other day when I saw The Boss, which ah. I can't, expand on unfortunately and everyone has um, seen this movie but me we'll we'll get there but uh melissa mccarthy kind of has a scene stealing moment in wait isn't she the this sport? is 40 oh i was like wait so she's the star of that movie she can't steal the no, boss she, she stole the whole movie <laughs> the boss she's the star uh no no and this is 40 which is just i don't remember her being in this I is mean, 40 maybe at it's all the batman v superman of comedies uh it just goes on and on and it's it ambles um and it's so tedious but then Melissa McCarthy shows up to do something really funny. What does she do in uh, that movie? Very I, don't, in that movie. I don't remember her. She is the uh, – their kid gets in trouble. Mm, mm. Basically, Paul Rudd and her are sparring in the principal's office, I believe. Yes, and she is – Maybe I'm incorrect. Yeah, no, she's, no, she's like a right. fellow parent. I, I do yes, remember this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was like, like something she probably put in the can right before blowing up. Um, in Bridesmaids, maybe. I don't know if my, my date's right on that. But it's just dates. so – funny and rich and like what a great supporting role can be and not like one of the main supporting roles of the movie just someone who's going to show up in this movie and do an amazing job and make a character out of seven minutes well that's what i think it's so fantastic uh that movie came out a little bit a, a year and a half after bridesmaids so she was she was already okay, a so maybe that makes sense um but that's i mean that's judd apatow movies in a nutshell like there's so i mean jonah hill was in one scene of the 40 year old virgin and i remember him vividly because he's in this one mm. really weird scene and has just a few lines, but he's really funny in it. Maybe LeBron James and Trainwreck is the same thing too. That's a pretty is good LeBron size James part, and Trainwreck though. good? He's not in it that much. No, he com- he weaves in and out just at the right moment, so you remember he's in the movie the whole time. But he's not like he has the one scene with Bill Hader at lunch, and then they're at courtside for the date. He shows up in the office once, and maybe he's at the end during the like. Uh, intervention scene he's not in the movie that much i mean it just feels I, like he i is. think he's good in it i mean same with john cena he's not in very much of that movie that's true john cena is only in like two scenes john cena is even better in sisters which is uh a, a, i think an underappreciated movie uh i mean it's not that uh, great no it's not he's uh it's he's terrible he's really good in it but so is comedy easier for this? Is that is just like getting some funny lines, the the quick road to success? It's not like Gal Gadot has anything intelligent to say in this movie, which is unfortunate. I'm not yeah, saying I mean, it's her fault. We've talked about a lot of heavily improvised movies. So, yeah, definitely in that sense. But then you think of something when it's like when it's written that way, like Ned Beatty in Network, who's in that one scene where he just uh, he's in the kind of the boardroom. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale. And it's incredible. And he's cast because he, you have to have someone who can do that scene. And the writer knows it and the director knows it. So it's much more of a it's not just one person running away with what they have. But yeah, it's a hard and he's not even the person who's barely in the movie who got the Oscar. No, that's Beatrice Strait, who's also amazing in her one scene. Uh, that I mean, that movie is like every single scene is a gem but uh i mean i think gal gadot proves that there are ways to do it even when what what you have is nothing but when a drama is structured so that one scene like uh patches you mentioned viola davis and doubt who has basically one scene and you know wipes the floor with the movie yeah that, or this, that's what i okay go there's a lot of like quentin tarantino movies that have like pop-up mm-hmm. performances that stick around for like walken. one scene christopher walken I would say like the little bit that Channing Tatum's in Hateful Eight yeah. can, is very impactful oh, for the little bit of time that he has on screen. 
But like those seem to make it work in dramas, especially if it's a character that, you know, has a very, very memorable bit of dialogue to do or is like a symbol for something greater that the movie allows to stick in your mind. Well, so that that's the real nuanced question for me. So we can have, you know, uh, Patty Chayefsky writing an amazing monologue or writing an emotional beat for Beatrice Strait. Um, that's that's powerful stuff. Or Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glenn Ross. You know, that speech is fueling that moment. It resonates throughout time because we can, can we continue to quote always be closing. Um, and a lot of this is coming from the words or or the synchrosis of. Uh, sound and picture and this presence, this actor. But where does it go from, you know, Channing Tatum in Hateful Eight might be a, a good role to hone in on here because it's not necessarily the best written role in the movie. Um, and if you think he's good in it, then the question is why? What choice does he make? Or where where does this person become a great performance and not and someone you admire or something you really like about a movie to go back to Gal Gadot and not just like someone who gets a badass maneuver in an action movie or mm-hmm. someone who gets a sweet Sweetly. lick I- I- of dialogue um, and maybe maybe or maybe Judy Dench is the person to talk here because she won an Oscar too well for, but that's what, eight minutes but that's another part that's like written to be the showstopper like every single scene that she's in literally everyone stops doing what they're doing around her because she's the queen. So it's kind of, it's kind of structured in that network kind of way. As in it's written so that we are enamored by her automatically. Exactly. And, and she right, and she like, does a great job with it, but the movie well, I think what you're talking about is when the movie doesn't seem to be pausing to notice what someone is doing, but you are. Like you say, you feel like someone is bringing more than the movie is even noticing that they're doing. Yeah, that's Viola Davis in Doubt. Oh yeah, you think even so? Even though that is a playwright's movie. Yeah, I mean she's amazing like, in it, but like that about, movie, that movie stops for her because that is her scene. Yeah, like, and but like the movie doesn't realize that is going to be the case hmm. in a way. I think. It I was. don't know. Is that is that I don't. I don't know. I think an it, odd I, thing to I, consider. I think it does, but. but now I want to go look at like other supporting actors be- nomination performances they can think of that are like doing what we're talking about. But it's hard. Like that's it. It's the kind of thing that doesn't get you. A, uh, an Oscar that often because it's not written to be big enough. Like no one's going to give Gal Gadot an Oscar for being like better than expected of Batman versus Superman, but it does have a huge impact. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like a lot of David Lynch characters seem mm-hmm. like this, where they come, they float in and out. Or oh, something before the podcast we were talking about was McConaughey in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, that's a huge one. Is that like that? You know, cited in the McConaissance or whatever, but. He doesn't do that much. He's pounding his chest. Or is that McConaughey make, coming, making that moment come alive? No, it totally is. And you miss him when he's gone, which I think is another key indicator of, uh, That's interesting. of when something like that I is I certainly effective. felt that way about Gal Gadot. Yeah, exactly. But what does he do in that scene? What does he do in that scene that, make, that elevates it? He is a charismatic movie star, which is what he is, which is what he was cast <laughs> for. And then creates a character who you are not seeing anywhere else, who you don't understand, who you want to know more about. And part of that is what's written. Part of that is just his appeal. I mean, this is why movie stars can pull this off way more often than just anybody else, which makes Gal Gadot more impressive because we don't really know who she is. Yeah, I, I, I like I like the idea that they present a full character regardless of how long that they're there. And something mm-hmm. about the way that they're portraying it makes you realize that. Like, um, it's an animation, so it might not be the best example, but, like, Bing Bong and Inside Out... Yeah! Like, like it no, that's exists a with some example. sort of internal logic and is, like, the best part. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, um... I, get, I guess what it comes down to is feeling lived in. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They walked into the movie from somewhere else that clearly exists and they'll walk out and continue on some line. Yeah. And that this isn't just a showstopper writing, directing moment. You know, you know who uh, um, has a lot of these, I think is Woody Allen. Cause he gets these great casts from top to bottom. Like thinking about like right. Andrew Dice Clay in blue Jasmine, where it's like this character who like doesn't matter that much, but then like you kind of are attached to, or like um, Corey Stoll when he showed up as Ernest Hemingway in Midnight in Paris. And like that that movie made me say, oh, I'm going to pay attention to who this guy is because he was so magnetic in this. You know, he's cr- he's surrounded by all these other people doing impressions of authors, but he's the one who you want to keep watching. 
Leo Leo kind of does that in Celebrity. Uh, you know, he's, oh, he's in a chunk that. of the movie, but he, you know, it's it's mostly mostly Kenneth Branagh, but he floats in and out and has just come to life. I, mostly because it looks like he's playing his pussy posse role. I don't know if Woody Allen was clued into all that, but like it feels like it's coming from a very real place. Uh, but yeah, Leo does that in Woody Allen. Yeah, that's a good good call. Woody Allen movies in general, or I'm thinking maybe even Paul Thomas Anderson movies are just all these characters oh, with all these types of roles, yeah, assembled into ensembles. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I feel yeah, like uh, any any other uh, any other roles that come to oh, mind. Oh, the guy or? who plays um who plays his brother in There Will Be Blood, who they have basically that one scene together, and like obviously he's oh, yeah. he's acting opposite Daniel Day Lewis, so he's like receding to the background to some degree. But I I don't even remember his name, but I remember liking that guy a lot. Now I just want to like go the, through. Uh, I, I like the 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 bully kid in the Wet Hot American Summer Netflix series. That redheaded kid who's oh, just who's good in, at being a little kid bully. Who keeps showing up in Geico. Oh, the one rounds. who keeps besting him? Yes. Oh, he does? Oh, yeah. he's play, He plays Peter Pan in all these uh, uh, right. Geico ads that won't go away. <laughs> he's going places. He's, he's going to break out. I was going to say Bill Murray in Space Jam, but that was about it. Um, <laughs> you um, think he brought more to the to Space Jam than Wayne Knight did and basically the exact same contributing part to Space Jam? Dis. Harsh dis That's on a, Wayne that Knight. Hurts. That hurts. Actually, here's here's w- one more to chew on because um, I'm looking at a picture. I'm just scrolling through endless amounts of movies and thinking about this. But what do you think of um, the woman who plays the other robot in Ex Machina. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... A- so what do you think of something like that? She doesn't really have lines. Is it a good performance? Yeah. Yes. Why? I mean, I think to not call it a good performance is to not give credit to what acting is. Like, it's not just... It's like having a presence and it's being part of the scene and it's like, like we said, like establishing a character and, I mean, she's doing that all non-verbally, which is even more impressive. Yeah, and she's her character has to work within like the mystery narrative of how much we know about the world going on and and be a consistent character. So I think it ends up paying off a lot. Uh, this actress is uh Sonoya Mizuno and apparently she's going to be in a bunch of movies, so we weren't the only ones to notice that she did yeah. a very good job. That's, I mean, she that's any also... movies with the red-headed bully kid? No, they're not to me unless he's also in Beauty and the Beast. He could play the uh he could play Chip yeah. Who's playing Chip in the Beauty and the Beast remake? Nathan Mack. I don't know who that is. He does not have a picture on IMDb. How unfortunate. This is his first movie. So they failed. They did not get that kid. It's still a year away. They're CGing. Yeah, but Emma right Thompson now. is playing Mrs. Potts. It's like yeah. Yes. Who will be who will be the minor performance of note in that movie? Uh Audrey McDonald as the uh as the wardrobe. I was I having can't this wait conversation for, uh, with Java, and it's like, do you want Ewan McGregor to be doing a bad French accent, or do you want him to just be Ewan McGregor singing Be Our Guest? No, you want him to be doing a bad French accent. He's got to like Gary, Just accent. like Jerry Warbuck did. Honor the man! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disrespect um, the past. Uh, well, that... We we are all minor performers on this podcast, so I hope people appreciate what we do. Um, and also, I guess I just want to hear from other people if there are performances, small performances that really stand out, and uh, and why. That's the key. I feel like why, there are what, a lot of Tarantino it? performances we're overlooking. All oh, of them. Oh, and one, of, and one that maybe is an exception to this rule that I was talking about, uh, Mark Wahlberg in The Departed. Which is like not the mo- the role that you would think would be the Oscar nominee from that movie, which is what makes it so fun. That's a that's a big role. It's a big role, but that, there's a lot of big roles. There's a lot going on in that movie, and he manages to grab attention away for himself, which is impressive. Hmm. I don't know. Like he I, now, I, I want to think of the awful versions of this. Oh God! Who oh. totally bungles their one moment, or like who is the small character who sucks? I saw someone. <laughs> someone. Oh God! I'm, I don't want to. Like someone tweeted about one. Oh, someone was saying that. Inside Lewin Davis is a masterpiece except for Carrie Mulligan, which I think is insane. But uh, Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg was the only acting nomination from The Departed. That tells you something. 
Yeah, I uh, guess I don't remember the small roles where people totally screw up or kind of stand out and don't work because I overlook them and hone in on what's working. That's unfortunate for that. Everybody else who was in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle besides the lead characters. And Neil Patrick Harris. And Neil Patrick Harris. There we go. Oh, see, but I almost forgot him just in general. So could it have been that good? I don't know. I mean, like, that's because he's been around for so long. But, like, at that point, that performance was so mind-boggling. Like, that that completely changed his career. Yeah, that's true. Now, you know who sucks? That kid who played Tom Riddle in the second Harry Potter movie. Shows over five minutes and sucks. Oh, can we do a whole other segment three? It's about child performances (laughs) that were in otherwise good movies. You got to get that out of your system before giving birth to a child. I'm not going to have a child actor. God, please. You're not no. going to turn your child into an actor? Oh, Jesus Christ, I hope not. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back uh, to talk about a film with a lot of minor performances in it and lots of major ones, too. It's Everybody Wants Some, the new film from Richard Linklater, which is, as we said, a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused, and we'll explain what that means when we talk about it. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, and I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com where you can listen to the episodes, you can share them on the Facebook and such, or you can uh, leave your favorite minor performances so we can read your answers. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I write for latino-review.com and geek.com. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash fighting in the war room, where this week someone asked us why our RSS feed uh occasionally will delete episodes to keep it nice and tidy and small and that's to drive you to the website so go to our website like patches told you boom uh i'm katie rich you can find me at vanityfair.com write stuff editing stuff and uh on twitter at katie rich k-a-t-e-y-r-a-c-h and we're all on twitter where you can yell at us about not reading a review or talk about minor performances or anything else at f-i-t-w-r or you can just use it the way you can use it every week to answer the lightning round question. And what was it? In honor of Everybody Wants Some, which is a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, what other movie deserves a spiritual sequel? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. <laughs>